The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church One study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC1. And this is Secret Church One, episode eight. Here's what I believe that if you had to nail it down to one foundational purpose, this is what I believe it is. The purpose of the Old Testament is to reveal how God redeems his people for his kingdom. How God redeems his people for his kingdom. Now, there's two parts to that. The story of the Old Testament, how God redeems his people for his kingdom. The first part is how God redeems his people. We used that word earlier when we were talking about Genesis. God is restoring his people to himself. That means he is recreating us in his image. This is one of the things we've studied here at Brook Hills and uh, just to see how from cover to cover in Scripture, God is conforming us into the image of Christ. He is recreating us. He is redeeming us, restoring us. Fall in Genesis chapter 3, the rest of the history of God's people, including what he's doing among God's, his people today, is restoring people to himself. He redeems his people for his kingdom. I want you to think about this idea of kingdom. Kingdom involves at least three different facets. Number one, a people, people who are ruled by the king. In order for somebody to be king, there's got to be somebody under them, people who are being ruled. Does that make sense? So we've got people who are ruled by the king. Second, a place where the king has dominion. I'm king over these people in this place. A king has a people who are ruled by him, a place where the king has dominion, and ultimately a purpose for the king and his kingdom. And it just works out well that they all start with P. So we've got people who are ruled by the king. We've got a place where the king rules. And you've got a purpose for the king and his kingdom. That kind of gives an overarching picture of what it would mean for a king to have a kingdom. Now, in light of that, I want us to think about God's kingdom. God's kingdom. Could it be that in the Old Testament we're seeing a story of God bringing his people to his place for his purpose? God bringing his people to his place for his purpose. As the king of the universe, he's bringing his people to his place for his purpose. What I want to do is you've got, with the notes you you had, there's a yellow sheet in there that was inserted. I want to invite you to open that up. And the top there, it says the kingdom of God, a map for understanding the storyline of the Old Testament. And what I want to do is I want us to, to look at this. And what, what, I'm, what you're going to have to do, and this will be tough. You got your Bible, you got your notes, and then you got this extra piece of paper. Okay? So the goal is to do this in the second section so it keeps you moving and you'll be able to stay awake. Okay? So you got these three things. What we're going to do is we're going to go back and forth between each. The, the yellow sheet is going to be the map. That's going to, we're going to fill it in along the way. A map for understanding the storyline of the Old Testament. For each section on that map, there will be notes that correspond with it, and I want you to have the opportunity to also mark some of these things in your Bible. But what I want you to look, as you look at that map, look at the map, and there's three different sections. People, place, and purpose. God bringing his people to his place for his purpose. And what you see on the left side, that's at the top. On the left side, you see the different eras in the history of the Old Testament. Now, we, we, get, we get down to anarchy after monarchy, which is basically the divided monarchy when they were just ruling themselves, basically, and then an end of exile. So we're, I'm going to call that anarchy. And then you get to Jesus. Now, that's where we got to understand this map. 
Two things about this map, and these are in your notes. Two things about this map. Number one, it's a progressive map. It's a progressive map. And by that I mean that every single thing, as we move down this map, it'll build on each other. It will build. It's not that something replaces something else. It builds on each other. So it's like building blocks coming together as we go down the map. So it's a progressive map. And second, it's an incomplete map, an incomplete story. A progressive story and an incomplete story. And that's why on this map you're going to see the, the, the New Testament, Jesus and present and future. Because in order to get the storyline of the Old Testament, we can't leave it in the Old Testament. We said that from the very beginning. The Old Testament is a story without an ending. So we've got to bring it to Jesus and then to us today and in the future. Now, what I'd like to do is take us on a journey through this map and trace each of these different areas. And I want you to see that God is bringing his people to his place for his purpose all throughout the Old Testament. And it's the same thing he's doing in our lives today. And it's going to unfold in, in ways that I think we'll see why the Old Testament is invaluable. So here we go. All right. Let's start with Eden, the initial picture, all right? Eden. God's, we'll start with the people. We got a picture of God's blessing on his people. God's blessing on his people. That's what's going on in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's God's blessing on his people. Ultimate blessing, total blessing. They are experiencing his blessing. Now, you're looking at your notes there. God's blessing on his people. The sovereign king creates man and woman as the summit of his creation. We are God's prized creation. Us in this room. We are the summit of his creation. Everything builds to create in man and his image. And he's the summit of creation. And, and we see that reflected at other points throughout this creation narrative. God is king. We're his subjects. And God has made us to be his prized creation. Two complementary accounts of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. There's two accounts of creation. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. And here's where, pull out your Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You actually see... In, in Genesis chapter 1, everybody knows the first verse, right? Let's quote it together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. So we got that at the very beginning. We know this is the story of creation. Then you get to chapter 2. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished. And then you get to verse 4 and it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth and when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field. And it starts a whole other story. Two worlds? No, not two worlds. Not an alien world. What we've got here is two different perspectives on creation. What you've got is in the first one, Genesis chapter 1, it's a, it's a more cosmic, and I've got there in your notes, universal in its scope. It's got the whole picture of all the world step by step. Man being the summit there, but overall step by step. When you get to Genesis chapter 2 and you see that story unfold, Different account, different perspective. The focus is much more the word I've got there. I should have put man-centered. Anthropomorphic basically means man-centered. Uh, it's, it's not focused as much on what's going on universally, but what God is doing with the summit of his creation, his people. What we've got is a picture in Eden of man constantly enjoying the love of God. Perfectly enjoying the love of God. God saw all that he had made and it was good. Everything was good. God's people experiencing his blessing. So that's the people. Now think about the place. 
The place is Eden. It's a picture of perfect fellowship. God's blessing on his people. It's perfect fellowship. And that's what we see unfolded here. The best place of all, the very best place of all, Eden, is the garden of paradise. It's a perfect place. God dwelling with his people in perfect fellowship. It is a paradise in Eden. Eden is a place where all relationships are perfect. Between God and man, everything is perfect. Between man and woman, everything is perfect. Between man and his environment, everything is perfect. So God and man, man and woman, and man and his environment, all of it come together in just perfect fellowship. That's the picture that Eden is giving us. Then the purpose. God's glory multiplied to all peoples. God's glory multiplied to all peoples. I want you to see how this unfolds. In Genesis chapter 1, look at that with me, in verses 26 through 28. See how, see how these verses give us a picture of the purpose of God. We've got God's place, God's people and God's place for his purpose, to multiply his glory to all peoples. Listen to this. God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. and the image of God who created him, and male and female he created them, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What you've got there is a picture of man created in God's image, and therefore man represents God himself as the sovereign over all creation. That's what it means to be in his image. It doesn't mean we've got his facial features. It means that we reflect and represent his glory to all of creation. That was what we were created to do in the Garden of Eden. Uh, man's purpose, therefore, and you see it unfold. Number one, to enjoy a relationship with God, Genesis 1, 26 through 8, 28. He's he's created them as the summit of his creation to enjoy a relationship with him. Second, to rule over all creation. You saw that emphasized over and over again. You're going to rule over the the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, over all the earth. So God's king, but he's sharing his reign with who? His creation, with man who's created in his image. He's sharing his reign. You will rule. You will be stewards of, of my kingdom. You will reign with me. That's an incredible picture. So you will rule over all creation. And then third, man's purpose is to reproduce God's glory to the ends of the earth. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. So that's the picture that we've got of man. God's people, his blessing. And God's place, perfect fellowship for God's purpose. I've created you to fill the earth with my glory. Represent my glory to to everything in creation. That was the initial picture of the kingdom, the perfect, really, picture of the kingdom. So that's where we start. Let's go to the next period. After Eden is the fall, and it's darkened there for a reason. Everything changed. Eden, as opposed to God's blessing on his people, what we've got now is it's progressed to God's blessing and judgment through Adam and Eve. God's blessing and his judgment through Adam and Eve. We'll go across. We'll go ahead and go across and we'll dive into these. The place is now a place of disrupted fellowship. We'll stay there on the yellow sheet. God's blessing and judgment through Adam and Eve. Disrupted fellowship as opposed to perfect fellowship. And instead of God's glory being multiplied to all peoples, God's glory is now marred for all peoples. 
marred for all peoples, his glory, his image in man, marred by the fall. I want you to see this unfold, Genesis chapter 3 through 11. Think about the people, God's blessing and judgment through Adam and Eve. Two results of the fall, two primary results of the fall. Number one, righteous judgment. It is not possible for God to be true to himself and his character and his holiness and at the same time tolerate dethronement by his creatures. It's not possible. His justice would not allow that. Judgment is a necessary result of the fall. It is inevitable and it is radical. It is, it is deep. God had said, if you disobey me, you will die. But if, if you follow me, you'll experience life. And that was the picture. And so now we usher in a picture, not just of God's blessing on his people. We've got a whole other line. We've got God's judgment. So we've got two results. Number one, righteous judgment. Second, undeserving grace. Thankfully, the Old Testament does not end in Genesis chapter 3. I told you so. Close the book and it's over. It's not what happens. Praise God it's not what happens. Undeserving grace. God comes to his people. And this is what we're going to dive into on Sunday morning. And he pours out his grace on them. Amidst the judgment, grace. And so what you see being lined up is that salvation and judgment are now inseparable. Inseparable. And complementary aspects of the action of God in bringing in his kingdom. Throughout the rest of that yellow sheet, you're going to see God's blessing and judgment the whole way through. Everything changed. God's blessing and judgment the whole way through. Now they are complementary acts. They're inseparable. They're going to go together. Throughout all eternity, we're going to see the blessing of God and the judgment of God on his people, on his creation. Two lines of human development. Two lines of human development. I want to show you these. Two lines of human development. Number one, an ungodly line. An ungodly line that shows sin and the judgment of God. And then second, there's a godly line that shows God's grace and his blessing. And we see it unfold as soon as we get to Genesis chapter 4. When you get to Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel come together. And Cain says to his brother in verse 8, let's go out to the field. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So we see the results of the fall here. And what happens is the rest of this chapter gives us a picture of immorality and sin in the line of Cain. So you've got a line of, of ungodly people that are experiencing the judgment of God. But then you get to chapter 5 and you've got a different picture. You have the line of Seth who raises up for his brother Abel, raises up. And what you've got in, in Genesis chapter 5 is a picture of a godly line who's not experiencing what's going on here in, in Genesis chapter 4. So you've got two lines here. You've got the line of Abel, or you've got the line of Cain and the line of Seth. All leads up to the point where you get to the flood and you have someone from Seth's line named Noah. See how the line continues here. The blessing continues through Noah. All of the sin that caused the flood, but one man is spared, Noah. Noah is exactly 10 generations from Adam. Noah is 10 generations from Adam. Then you get the story of the flood, you get through the flood. God's covenant with Noah, and you get to the end of chapter 9, and we begin to see Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And what you see is those two lines begin to go again. Ham, you see his line begin to carry out that ungodly line of judgment. But then you see the line of Shem that goes all the way to, uh, through the end of, of chapter 10. Uh, into chapter 11, you see that this is the account of Shem in chapter 
11, verse 10, and you get to the end, and it leads to, in chapter 12, a guy named Abraham. Now, Noah was exactly 10 generations from Adam. Abraham just happens to be 10 generations from Noah. And so what we're seeing is the presence of a godly line that is experiencing the blessing of God that leads up to Genesis chapter 12. Does that make sense? You seeing that? And what you got on the other hand is an ungodly line that stops, st- goes and stops. So we, we, you've got both lines, and the one line is going to lead us to Abraham. So you've got God's blessing and judgment through Adam and Eve, these two lines. That's the people. Second, the place, that picture of disrupted fellowship as opposed to perfect fellowship. All relationships are now disrupted. All the relationships are now disrupted. When you see the relationship between God and man that was perfect, now there's discord there. You get to Genesis chapter 3, and you see three different effects of the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, we're going to dive into these more on Sunday morning, but when you look at it, it says, after they sinned, in verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They knew they were guilty. First effect of sin is their guilt. They knew they were guilty. Discord between God and man, guilt, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then you get to verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Second picture you're seeing is a picture of shame. They're afraid. They're not, not afraid, but they're, they're, they don't see how they could be in God's presence. So they've got to hide from him. And then you get to verse 9. It says, but the Lord called to man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see guilt, you see shame, and then finally you see fear. These are the results of the fall on man. That as opposed to this perfect fellowship, you've got a fellowship that's disrupted by guilt and shame and fear because of sin. Man is now outside the garden and separated from his relationship with God. Fallen man is outside the garden. I'll come back up to those two. Not only discord between God and man, but discord between man and woman. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and you see God say, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. Your pain will give you birth. With pain, you will give birth to children. And your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So you see discord that's coming about there. And then you get to verse 17, and it says, discord between man and his environment. And Adam is told, cursed is the ground because of you. Though painful, through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Now, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're a fan of writing in your Bible, you might put at these different points. Just kind of put a little note. It says place, person, or place, uh, people, and purpose. Just kind of write at the side so you can see after we walk through this, the overview of the Old Testament, even as you go back and study it and read it on your own. So you see that. You see how place has been disrupted. Fallen man is now outside the garden. Then we get to purpose. God's glory marred for all peoples. Man is now free to be, only free to be what he is, a sinner who hates God. All men and women free to be what only they can be. Sinners who hate God, who have a nature that is turned against God. And all of us are recipients of that nature. Every single one of us here tonight has in our human nature a a sinful nature that that opposes God. And it's as a result of the fall. It's a picture of what we have received from Adam. So 
God's man, man, man is now free to be only that. And the picture of man after the fall, we see it unfold in Genesis chapter 11. Number one, total disobedience to the purpose of God. Then remember the Tower of Babel? To see how this relates to the purpose. They are supposed to multiply and make the glory of God known among all the earth, right? That was their purpose. We saw that. See how it's messed up. Look in chapter 11, verse 2. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they did what? They settled there. You don't see them filling the earth anymore. They're settling. They say, we're going to stay back. So you see them disobeying the purpose of God, total disobedience to the purpose of God. And they said, they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. It's total disregard for the glory of God. Total disobedience to the purpose of God, total disregard for the glory of God. God's glory mourned for all peoples. So now you've got a problem. You had God's people in God's place for God's purpose. Now you've got... God's people experiencing blessing and judgment, disrupted fellowship in God's place, banished out of the Garden of Eden now, and you've got God's glory marred for all peoples. And this is where, this is where the storyline begins of God redeeming his people for his kingdom. I want you to see it unfold. Look at next area, next era, patriarchs. God's blessing and judgment Remember, we're going to see those all throughout. Here in the patriarchs, we see God's blessing and judgment through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's blessing and judgment through them. The place. They're wandering around in different places, but there's a promised fellowship. Not disrupted fellowship, a promised fellowship. God has promised to be with them. He says that over and over to them. We'll see in just a second. And the purpose, God's glory is being made known to all peoples through his faithfulness. So that's God's people, God's place, God's purpose. His blessing and judgment through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's showing that. Promised fellowship. And then for the purpose, he's going to make his glory known to all people through his faithfulness. I want you to see that unfold with the people. God's blessing and judgment through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God establishes a covenant people. This is where the covenant begins with Abraham. And he says these words, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. You've got those in your notes right there, correct? Well, let's read those together. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. You get the point of God's blessing there? Over and over again, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you. God promises to bless Abraham and his descendants. It's a promise that continues. You've got some verses listed there. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. Over and over again, he promises to bless him. And God's promise is received by grace alone through faith alone. Let me show you that in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Look at verse 6. Well, we'll start in verse 5 just to give you a picture of the blessing. And then come to verse 6 and it will show you this. Look at chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. He took him outside and said, look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be like all these stars. And Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He trusted God. 
That is why he was going to be the recipient. It was promised, it was promised to him that he was going to receive this blessing. He believed the Lord. So God's promise received by grace alone through faith alone. That leads us to the place, the promised fellowship. God is establishing a covenant place. When he calls Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I'm going to show you. He says, I'm going to give you a land. And so we see the place coming about here. God establishes a covenant place. And God continually gives seeds of promised fellowship in the land. He tells not just Abraham, but Isaac and Jacob. He makes the same promises to them. Let me show them to you. Look at Genesis chapter 26. Look at Genesis chapter 26. See what God is saying to Isaac now about the land, about the place. Genesis chapter 26, verse Verse 2, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I'm going to give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me, kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. You see how lands? I'm going to give you all these lands. I promise to give you all these lands. There's the place that's being emphasized. Same thing happens to, to Jacob. Look over in Genesis chapter 28. Look at Genesis chapter 28. Jacob stops, has a dream. Look at verse 13. There above it stood the Lord in this dream. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the what? The land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east and the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. That's a very stout promise considering Jacob was a single guy at this point. Okay, he didn't have, didn't have a wife, and he's going to have all these descendants. This is good news for Jacob. He's going to have all these lands, and all of his descendants are going to be spread out there. It's a promise. And then I got listed there, Joseph, Genesis chapter 39. We won't go there, but you remember, you remember Genesis chapter 39. Things are in danger. There's famine in the land, and all of Jacob's sons, all of Jacob's sons are, are experiencing the threat of what's going to happen to us. And it just so happens that through the evil of his brothers, Joseph has now risen to a place where he can help provide for his family. And they come to him and they, they receive help from him. And the line, the promise of the land is continued through Joseph being risen up. And Joseph says at the end of this book, he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. You never know what God's doing. Even in the pain that he brought Joseph through. He brought him to this purpose so he could fulfill it. The promised fellowship still alive through Jacob's son, Joseph, and what happens after that. So that's the people, the place, and the purpose. God's glory made known to all peoples. What did he say in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3? I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and through you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. God's glory is going to be made known to all peoples through his faithfulness to Abraham, through his faithfulness to Isaac, through his faithfulness to Jacob. And he says to them over and over again, all nations are going to know I am good because of the way that I bless you. That's his purpose. He's calling out Israel, but that doesn't mean he loves Israel and he hates the nations. He's calling out Israel because he wants to show his grace and his mercy and his power to the nations through Israel. They will be the conduits of his grace to all peoples. And as he shows himself faithful to the people of Israel, 
The people of Israel will show the goodness and the greatness of God. That is the very purpose of him calling out the people of Israel. Grab a hold of this because it has huge ramifications for our lives. That was their very purpose in being called out. We're going to see that continue. He's going to show himself faithful so that people will know that he's good. God provides a sacrifice for his promise to be realized. Abraham waits forever. Sarah's gotten pretty old. And then it just so happens she does have a child, the promised child, Isaac. And then God says, go and sacrifice him. And here's one of those points where if we study this passage, there's a great temptation for us to walk away and do a whole Bible study on how we need to be like Abraham. And yes, I do believe Abraham is a, is a model for faith in this picture. Don't hear me. Don't hear me not saying that. But that's not the ultimate purpose. That's, that's what's going on in Abraham's life. Nationally, remember the three levels? We're going to go up a little bit. Nationally, he's going to provide. God is going to provide a ram so that the line of Abraham is going to continue. And ultimately, much larger than that, he is going to provide so that his purpose is still going to be accomplished. And he's going to show his faithfulness to his people. When Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, he's going to come down and provide a ram in the thicket. And he's going to look at that ram and he's going to say, my God provided for me here. My God was faithful to me here. And God's overarching promise is still going. His purpose is still being accomplished. Now that's the broader picture than just be like Abraham. It's a bigger picture and affects the way we interpret. So God provides a sacrifice for his promise to be realized. And then God promises to establish his kingdom for all nations through his people. He promises to establish his kingdom for all nations through his people. Look at chapter 35 in Genesis. Chapter 35. Look at verse, uh, verse 9. I want you to see this. Now, we looked at one other verse already. I jumped ahead of the game. When we looked at Genesis 49, remember what, what Jacob promised Judah about his descendants? Look at what happens here in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 35, verse 9. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. And what will come from your body? Kings will come from your body. You see this? The whole picture of the kingdom of God? The sovereign king of the universe? He's going to use his people to make his kingdom known, his greatness known in all the nations, and he's going to do it through raising up kings through this line. Hold on to that. That, that is going to come back to see the beauty of that picture. Hold on. Through that, kings will come from your line. So that's the picture we've got in the patriarchs. God's blessing and judgment through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Promised fellowship and God's glory made known to all peoples through his faithfulness. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.